listening to Cinema Jaw Retro Reviews, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and hey, with me is... Rye the Movie Guy. Matt, this is our first retro review of the year. A sidecar podcast. We've a been talking, talking about doing this for a long time. Here it finally is. Yeah. We well, do- I think what it is is you just can't get enough Cinema Jaw, Ryan. Hmm. So we wanted to keep adding on to it. But the idea was we love doing these themes and we heard very positive feedback of doing a monthly theme focusing on an actor, actress, director, writer. Yeah. And why not go in, choose a film from their filmography, perhaps one of their most celebrated performances, and go ahead and give it a review through uh, modern goggles, like 2020 vision on an older film. Right. And a lot of times we wanted to do this last year and then we couldn't quite squeeze it into a podcast that we were doing that month. Stop making excuses. Well, you know, so on and so forth. You're trying to review so much. And so we decided to finally do these, what we're calling sidecar reviews. We're making a commitment, Jawheads. We're going to do this once a month. This is the first. Obviously, our theme here for January, if you've been listening to the regular podcast, is Robert Downey Jr., who has Dr. Doolittle out this month, and he's just due what, with a huge filmography to celebrate his career. Uh, absolutely. He perhaps is overdue, Ryan. You go back 27 years ago, believe it or not, Matt, when he made the movie Chaplin. Yeah. And this was a movie that he was praised for. He was nominated for an Academy Award, and he only has two Oscar nominations in his career, this being one of them. Right. Well, he's been robbed quite a few times for his Iron Man performances. The other being Tropic Thunder, believe it or not, was his other nomination. bold performance. And so when we were looking at his filmography, we chose Chaplin to be our first retro review. Yes. Back in 1992, Richard Attenborough had yet to play a character who brings dinosaurs back to life for a theme park. At that time, he was perhaps best known for his amazing biopics, including Gandhi, which had won him Best Director and Best Picture, and introduced the world to Ben Kingsley. No, he wouldn't bring dino DNA back from extinction until the following year. In 92, the werewolf Jacob from Twilight, Taylor Lautner, was just a newborn, and Attenborough was making Chaplin with Iron Man. That is to say, Robert Downey Jr., an American, controversial even then, was cast as one of the greatest British filmmakers and performers of all time. What could go wrong? He came to America with nothing but a dream. Overnight, he had Hollywood in his hands. Damn you, Chaplin, what are you trying to do to me? (laughs) And the world at his feet. The whole world knows about you, Charlie. Let me direct the next one. But behind the screen... Charlie! ...were the women who wanted him. Is this what you want? Did you lose your other wives this way? The scandal that surrounded him. Don't believe everything you read in the papers. Why not? And the passions. Still waiting for that other shot, Sid. That inspired him. Your message reaches everyone, everywhere. And there's no control over them. Be careful. Come From Academy Award-winning director Richard Attenborough. Robert Downey Jr. He is talking about America. You are a truly strange fellow, Charles. <laughs> Everyone has a wild side, even a legend. What do we do, Charlie? Smile. 
not too much went wrong, Ryan. RDJ gave what is still his most ambitious and critically acclaimed performance, won him a BAFTA and nomination for Best Actor Oscar Gold. Just 27 years old at the time, this was one of the climbs on what would be a roller coaster of a career for Robert Downey Jr. The film does suffer from its own ambition. Unlike Gandhi, which clocked in at over three hours, Chaplin packs in one of Hollywood's most important lifetimes into two hours and 25 minutes, seven of which are the credits. The film trucks along, but can feel disjointed when jumping from era to era. Stitching this together is a fictional biographer played by Anthony Hopkins, who was clearly just looking for work, as he adds very little to the film. So little, I'm not sure these scenes were needed at all. Hindsight is 2020, Rye, and under 2020 microscope, it's easy to characterize Chaplin as a bit bland and poorly edited. That isn't to say that it's not a good movie, and Downey Jr. fans would be remiss to miss this one. However, Though the man, Chaplin, did have a controversial sex life, to say the least, I feel the film focused a bit too much on that and not enough on his artistry. If there is a main plot to the film, it's his relationships with women, and while I see what Attenborough was going for, I'm just not sure he sticks the landing here. Chaplin is worth a revisit, but don't expect Gandhi. What did you think, Ryan? Yeah, I'm right with you there. In fact, this was my first viewing of Chaplin. This isn't a rewatch for me. It's the first time I've actually sat down to watch the film. And my initial take was that the film had all the intentions to be great, to be masterful, lined up in all-star cast. And I'm not just speaking of Robert Downey Jr., but you also have Dan Aykroyd, Mm -hmm. Anthony Hopkins, who you mentioned, Mila Jonovich. Kevin Klein, Diane Lane, a young David Duchovny pops up in this movie as a cameraman. But unfortunately, the net result was sort of a run-of-the-mill biopic. And you nailed it on the head with the Anthony Hopkins character. And that's where I want to start tackling this review. So Anthony Hopkins plays the editor of his biopic. He's his like the writer. Right, yeah, yeah, he's writing. And he's a basically, book. we don't even see him. We hear him for the first couple of uh, scenes. Is that how it really went, Charlie? Exactly. You right. get this voiceover of this, you know, editor slash uh, biographer talking to him about his life, and that is such a trope when you're talking about the biopic. Really, they're going to go with, uh, "Hey, we're about to write your biography, and now through this voiceover, we're going to get the flashback." Right, which he does not do in Gandhi. I don't know why he went for that. Pretty basic stuff here. Agreed. And the questions that he's asking them and the conversations they have and the high points that they hit are just, sorry, for lack of a better term, it's just garbage. You know, it's just a way to move the plot along to the next chapter of Chaplin's life. And they never dig deep into those. And that's the first time I met J. Edgar Hoover. And then it switches over to the dinner that they had with J. Edgar Hoover, which is interesting to some degree, but how interesting. Right. It never goes I, well, they could have, much deeper than that. They could have dug into all of that, the McCarthyism, like the, the attack on Hollywood and how the government saw it as a threat with the movies coming in. I think when you're doing a biopic, as a filmmaker, you're probably better really going after one issue when, when you have something like that. Hey, you want to go after the whole communism movement, the McCarthy, getting rid of people who they thought were, were communists. Sure. Great. Go after that and tackle that. But instead, when you go after an entire career and life, actually, of Chaplin, it, it, it's almost impossible to get it 
much much deeper than just shallow waters of what we're going to actually see. We we get the opening moments where Chaplin had this difficult upbringing where he didn't know you know his father he had really no relationship there. His mother suffered from mental illness, and right. I I think the movie's trying to tell you that. That's part of the reason why he always was working and constantly, you know, sort of a perfectionist and, and constantly behind the camera and working was to keep his mind going so that he wouldn't have the same fate as maybe his mother. Maybe that's there. Yeah, certainly making up for, for past deficits. But again, that's a bit of a stretch. That's something I'm reading into it. It's not. It's not clearly stated in the laid film. Laid out there. Yeah. And then again, you get into the later part of his life where you have this whole idea of was he part of the the you know communist party and this is quite interesting as obviously most people listening to this know Charlie Chaplin then went into exile and lived in Switzerland but for that was because many of his sex life but it also had something I guess to do so. with um yeah no he wasn't a roman polanski he 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 got kicked out of the country because mccarthy and and hoover didn't like him right exactly yeah and and so you have that but again both those issues and really throw in a third issue, that of his, his love life and his constantly sort of cha- chasing, you know, these younger actresses. Teen- teenage girls. Let's just yeah. call that what it was. So, so he was chasing these younger women, it seemed, throughout his entire life. Those th- three things are presented, but none of them really go much deeper than just presenting the topic, which if you just picked up a, a quick Wikipedia page, you'd probably get more or less the same information that you got from Chaplin, the movie. Right. But then again, in 92, when this film was made, Wikipedia did not exist. So it's easy to say that. But I would say that that going further on his sex life, it was a theme. They chose to go with it. But then, like you said, they didn't dive deep enough to make that gripping or telling or illuminating story point. It was just kind of there. And they kept dipping their pen back into that inkwell. And I'm like, come on. I mean, you know, I, I'm, if you want to go there as a filmmaker, fine, then do it. But if if not, then then give us something more. Give us something to chew on. And, and Attenborough kind of misfired there. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to bring up is I'm a big advocate of making a biopic interesting in some way because the biopic seems to be a genre that just follows the same paint by numbers more so than and than most genres. I have to say, I wanted him to take more chances somewhere in this movie. But one highlight him, you mean Attenborough? Attenborough, yeah, the director. One highlight in the film that does just that is a sequence in which Chaplin is going through a divorce, and they realize that the film he's still editing is considered an asset his ex-wife could go after. So they leave for Utah. To finish the film right. outside of cross, California. Cross state line. Yeah. Right. And director here, Richard Attenborough, depicts this in the style of a 1920s silent film. So all of a sudden, this biopic that we're watching has the style of a 1920s silent film, the fast motion of the characters getting in and out of cars, the sight gags such as trying to fool the police officers and the hotel uh, workers as they're got, you know, You like Chaplin. that sequence? Yeah, because... It represented a lot of what Chaplin's films were and, and put that in into a, a fun, inter, in, integrating it into the story way. I enjoyed the heck out of it. The piano's playing. There's no dialogue. It's very much a silent film sequence. And I wanted more artistic liberties to come through like this, but they, they didn't. There was that one sequence that I thought, okay, that's creative. That's fun. That's a little different. 
but I didn't get much more than that. What'd you think of the makeup? I think we're both in agreement that Robert Downey Jr.'s performance is amazing. Let's get to that in a minute. But mm-hmm. but the makeup at the end, distracting. Yeah, for me. We're, we're living in the Irishman era when when they can do this digitally. And and this was not the case in 92. This is prosthetic work. Put it this way. I had it written down also to ask. It said makeup as a dash here next because I thought I did want to bring this up as a point. So I thought it was okay. Passable. It looked pretty accurate. Yeah, you, you look at pictures of... we used to Charlie seeing, Chaplin. Yeah. We're used to seeing Robert Downey Jr. in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then when he... It is distracting when he becomes old. But when you compare it like a side-by-side with the actual person, it was pretty good. Decent in makeup. real life, I think Chaplin was a, a, a bit heavier later on in life than yeah. it was portrayed in the well, movie. They made, him, they made him sort of heavier. Did they? They gave him a bit of a rounder face, and I, I thought the know. makeup was okay. It was okay. okay. So, okay, on to the performance of Robert Downey yes. Jr. Yes, now this, on the other hand, is the strong point of the movie. Robert Downey Jr. said people had mentioned how much he looked like Robert Downey Jr. And he did. you do get this right in the beginning of the movie, the very famous silhouette of Charlie Chaplin. There's a few silhouettes in Hollywood that you just recognize, right? E.T., or the bike flying across the moon. Alfred Hitchcock, you get oh, the, you the silhouette. Chaplin being probably one of the main ones. He's standing there with the top hat and the cane. And you get, oh, that's Charlie Chaplin. It's a pretty cool way to start. Um, I think he looked like them. I thought his acting when it came to the auditions, and there's a few scenes throughout the movie where he's auditioning. And the big one being when he auditions for Dan Aykroyd, who plays a director who actually hires Charlie Chaplin because he saw him playing uh, a drunk. Yeah. And he wants, in he thinks, right. he, he thinks he's much older because he was playing uh, a guy made up to look older and he plays this drunk fan- fantastically. So he ends up hiring Charlie Chaplin. He comes out and he's actually shocked at how young Charlie Chaplin is. But in that moment, he just decides to perform in front of the entire cast and Dan Aykroyd, who's standing there. And it's a moment, you know, and it's a moment that shows that Charlie Chaplin was just so talented enough with his body and his physicality, that right. it was just plain funny to do whatever he was doing, be it a, a drunk or a clumsy right. person. He was the predecessor to to a Buster Keaton, who they worked together on one film, I believe, at least. And, you know, Cha- Chaplin set the bar. He, he was he was a great talent. I think RDJ pulls off a tremendous performance here that, that by all accounts, was, was accurate, and that is no small feat. The thing is, I, I don't know if I don't know if I learned enough about Chaplin. Yes, but that's not the performance. True, but I, I I didn't feel more so than it was an imitation than I, I than an, I was watching Charlie Chaplin. I don't know. Well, see, and here's the thing: I've I've certainly seen my fair share of Charlie Chaplin clips. I don't know if I've ever sat down and watched a, an entire Chaplin film beginning to end. Even the Great Dictator, which I probably should. I'm a Buster Keaton guy myself. I've yeah, same with Keaton though. I've I've you know we've all watched the famous stunts where he's actually holding on above what, Fifth Avenue or wherever onto the clock hands and stuff. But I don't think I've ever really sat down and watched a beginning to end Buster Keaton movie. These are really old movies we're talking mm-hmm. about. Which brings me to a point I wanted to ask you. The one thing I did find pretty interesting watching this movie in 2020, uh, we, we see. A progression from World War One to World War Two, the Great Depression happens, and then you know the fifties, McCarthyism, and all that stuff, uh, which is just an interesting slice of history. Probably one of the most interesting slices of history of modern times. And it's eerie how close to parallel we see, especially with the rise of fascism and stuff like that. Because the one thing that the movie does successfully illustrate is Chaplin's 
political leanings, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that that recurred in his artwork time and time again, much to the chagrin of his producers and other people surrounding him. But that was interesting to watch in 2020, where we're sort of seeing the rise of nationalism once again. And I, I found that that repetition, that 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 mirror art, you know, reflecting life. Yeah, but again, I guess it's relevant we again. Could, we could take that as a theme and say that's another fourth theme in this movie that I wish they could have delved I, a little bit deeper. I agree. Right? It's there. It's present, especially when he's making the great dictator. But that could be a whole movie. You could you that could, could be a whole movie. You could focus on just that aspect of Charlie Chaplin's career instead of doing this entire lifespan story and just giving us a very shallow look at it. I agree. I think that that kind of made it a little bit more interesting for me watching this today, but ultimately it falls flat. There's a scene in this movie where he picks out his famous cane and top hat. And I I started to like it, and then I I wasn't sure if I did like it or not, but he he basically is shown going into wardrobe uh, right before... Right. They and were they, about to film they his, glow his like first the Holy scene. Grail. Right. And all of a sudden he walks in and the hat's glowing and he grabs the hat and the cane uh, more or less moves, you know. Magically animates into his hand. Right. And goes into his hand. But then you hear in the voiceover him say to the biographer, no, it didn't really happen like that. Right. So what all did it mean? Okay. It was a nice magical moment. In, well, in I the suppose film. they're they're trying to illustrate that he's he's telling his story and he's he's doing it through a, a glamorous or a romantic lens, but the biographer wants to take the glamour and romance out of it and just show what really happened. But that conceit in the story reminds us or serves to remind us that no, we, we are looking at it through a romantic lens, and and Attenborough's attempt to tell us this is the real deal. Fails completely. Mm. It was unneeded. So being a, a retro review, we have the ability to look back at uh, a great film reviewer here in Chicago, Roger Ebert, who reviewed the film uh, when it came out in 1992. And this is uh, just a small excerpt of what Roger Ebert wrote. He says here, Rarely has a modern biopic so slavishly tried to connect every event in a man's life with its inspiration earlier in the same life. Charlie loves and loses a young girl in London, and so he pursues two young women all of his life. He sees a blind girl in London and later makes city lights. He sees a film of Hitler and decides to make the great dictator. He sees men out of work, and you get the point. There is not much here about what made him funny and great. Attenborough, a filmmaker, is not interested in showing us how Chaplin made a film. There are indeed shots of Charlie filming, but these are the same kind of made-up artificial movie scenes we've seen countless times before, in which sudden inspiration strikes like lightning and a career is built out of instant genius. I agree with with the great Roger Ebert there. It would have been a more interesting film if he had focused in on what made Charlie Chaplin a genius and how that genius went from mind to screen. I agree. Um, Ebert went on to give it two stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I agree. When I, when I watched the movie and was collecting my thoughts, I wanted exactly what, what Ebert's saying there is I wanted to learn more about what made him funny and not just see him be funny on screen yeah. for those few moments. So 
it was semi disappointing because I wanted to learn and and feel more about the character. Still a great performance from Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. So I wanted to also include this. This was from a New York Times interview that Robert Downey Jr. did after the film uh, was made and getting ready to be released. Downey said, Chaplin has been an undercurrent my whole life. Last year at the Museum of Moving Image in London, Robert Downey Jr. got someone to open a glass case so he could try on a pair of Chaplin's shoes. They fit perfectly, Downing said. We are ha- we have the same feet. And when he was filming in Switzerland, where Chaplin lived in self-imposed exile until his death in 1977, one of Chaplin's former maids approached Robert Downey Jr. with a gift. She gave me one of the real tramp wing collars, he says. Robert Downey Jr. glances around the restaurant as if to make sure no one overheard. And then he whispers to the uh, interviewer here, I keep it in a safe. Why the attraction to the little tramp? Robert Downey Jr. answers, Chaplin is God. He's beyond explanation. He is an ideal, something the world created because they desperately needed him. I don't know, man. I just can't connect to that fully. But that's because a lot of time has passed, even since 92. And at that time, Chaplin was a bit of a relic. Mm -hmm. But he's certainly the master of the golden age of of silent movies. No doubt about it. Um, But I like to see in that interview the passion that Robert Downey Jr. had for the character. Same. Same, yeah, that that's that is wonderful. I suppose if you have to play the man, you should know the man. The movie at the time during the Oscars was nominated for three Oscar nominations, as mentioned, Robert Downey Jr. for lead actor. It was also nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Original Score, the music there. The, the score was pretty cool with those ragtime, mm-hmm. tinkly little pianos. Got, got the mood right. Yeah, they did. No doubt. Um, but I would say now looking at it, 27... 28 years later here. Aged-wise, not all that well. I guess so. The movie itself doesn't look like an old movie to me, but I'm an old man, you know, so I don't, I don't know. It's tough. It's tougher for me to see this movie and not transport myself back to the 90s. But yeah, it hasn't held up the best, but I don't know if I would have liked it as much even then if I was an adult. So, so Matt, the ultimate question is, how many Jaws? All right. Well, so we, we grade on a four- jaw system as did the great ebert there two out of four is what he gave it and i concur there's a lot here to like with these performances and at the same time it just doesn't quite give us enough so it's a two jaw movie for me i'm pretty much right with you it was, it was a bit of a letdown if anything i'm, I'm closer to like one and a half I, oh wow it's not that bad i i think because i went in expecting greatness yeah i i had heard that he was nominated for you know this performance, I wanted to learn more about Chaplin because I'm such a movie fan. And I, I walked out of it thinking, well, it was a pretty good performance. I don't think it's one of those I would put, even now, what time has passed, I wouldn't necessarily say this is Robert Downey Jr.'s best. And I didn't learn enough about Chaplin. So where does that put me? Mm-hmm. Two jaws. Yeah. Two jaws. That's all it's getting from me. And that's just two jaws. I'll, I'll bump it up to that. All right. It eked it out. That is our retro review of Chaplin. Uh, If you agree, disagree, like the movie, and you can't believe we only gave it two jaws, write us, guys. Twitter pulled up. It's at Cinemajaw. Or email is feedback at Cinemajaw.com. These retro reviews will continue all year long. 
So look for another one in February. Yeah, and we're not above getting suggestions. We, in fact, love getting suggestions. So please, if you if you have an idea for us, uh, do not hesitate. You can also get us on Facebook. And as Ryan mentioned, feedback at cinemajaw.com or on Twitter at cinemajaw. And thanks for listening. Yeah, until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt K. And, and keep on jawing about the movies. That was a good one. Yeah, that's for, nice. for, for a first one, for a first retro review. Yeah. I don't know how long that it's was. It's like we've been podcasting for a decade.